This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Happy, Happy uh, It's uh, a Million and Reason to East Coast Heat. True. And John is also out here. I am. That said, I didn't mind the heat uh, over the weekend. It's supposed to be hotter today, though, I think, so we'll see. We, we're here tonight. We had a nice breeze up here in Albany, so at least I got to enjoy that part of it. Yeah, it wasn't as bad. Uh, it wasn't as bad yesterday um, in terms of like humidity, which has been crazy down here. But uh, it's going to be kind of a heat wave, I think, the whole week. So I guess uh, I guess you brought it with you. Guess I did. Um, so this week, obviously, we just recorded um, on Thursday. So yeah, we spoke last week. Uh, and we had an earlier episode this week because some scheduling things. So uh, not a ton new necessarily, but still some uh, some fun Syracuse stuff to talk about. Uh, Dan, why don't we start with the uh, road trip rankings? Now, uh, Mark from Syracuse Fan popped in last week, kind of give us a, uh, a rundown of where he would go uh, if he could pick his tailgate location. I know he can pick his tailgate location, as can the rest of us. Um, this season, he had some rankings based on uh, a variety of numerical factors. He ranked, you know, food and stuff to do, weather, travel costs, tailgate, uh, parking, stuff like that. Um, we can just go on what we would want to do and where we'd want to go. Um, so if you had to pick, like, where would be your maybe like two to three top places that you would want to go this season based on, I guess, where in the schedule it falls and, and then things like that. Um, I think I would probably lean towards Florida State number one. Um, a, because it's one of the more premier games in the division. I haven't personally been. I know we've had a couple opportunities to go down there. But this is probably also our best chance to win in Tallahassee in recent memory. Obviously, we beat them pretty handily at the Dome last year. Um, I think Florida State will be better this year, but I'm not sure they'll be all the way back. I think we'll, I'm, you know, we're both pretty bullish on our team 
Um, so that would be a fun opportunity. And then I would probably say Louisville after that because I've wanted to get out there, um, for either football or basketball. I've heard, you know, fun things about the town and just like different stuff to do around there. And kind of the same thing. Like it's a good opportunity for a win this year because they'll, they'll obviously be in hard rebuild mode. Um, so those would be my two. Um, and then, you know, you kind of go down the line. I, I don't think we have like a super prominent non-conference road trip with, uh, Liberty, which I don't really care to know to for myriad reasons. Um, I know Mark put Duke first because we haven't been able to get down there yet. Um, and I think that's a fair reason. I just, you know, I, Duke football doesn't do a ton for me in terms of like the home game atmosphere. But if you, you know, gave me an opportunity to go to the game, I certainly would. So I think that's definitely a thing to do. And when you're, you know, Mark obviously goes on a lot of these trips. So I, I understand why he put Duke number one. Um, so I, I don't think it's the most uh, interesting set of road games that we could have had. But um, obviously, I think there are, there are some things to like here. I guess Maryland's in there too, but you know it feels like we've played them a bunch, so um, and that's certainly an easy trip as well. Yeah, I think the big thing this year, at least, is like th- th- there is an ease to to a bunch of the trips. Uh, we can expect wins uh, for a bunch of these. I think in general, we found that like if you're scheduling if you're scheduling wins in the non conference, you're not going to have you know the sexiest uh, road trip possibilities especially when, you know, most of the trips in conference are going to be the same every year because of how the divisions are set up and things like that. So, like, for me, I agree with you. I, I think that, like, Duke's a tough pick for number one. Um, just, yeah, because of the atmosphere. I mean, I have, I, I've been to the stadium. I've been to the campus, but I haven't, uh, haven't been for a football game. So it would be something new. Um, I'm actually headed to the NC State game this year which should be fun because like I've been to NC state before um, a few years back, actually like right before Scott Schaefer got fired. It's kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Um, when, when this Schaefer tenure was over, but this time around, obviously expecting much better results, uh, hopefully a fully healthy team. Unlike what we had uh, that November game. I think the Thursday night factor uh, makes this a really huge matchup. I mean, it, it's, going to be a sellout. It's going to be a really fun game. There's going to be a lot of passion there from Syracuse fans and, and of course, NC State fans as well. Both teams replaced their quarterback. Uh, we'll get into NC State a lot more um, a few weeks from now when we get into ACC previews. But, yeah, I, I think the NC State game, like, we're not rivals with them by any means, but I feel like NC State and Syracuse fans have had a problem with each other since day one uh, because of Mark Gottfried's uh, things that he said about Bayheim and and he definitely seemed like one of the more like prominent like bitches and moaners about Syracuse early on, even before they they arrived in the ACC. And I feel like despite the fact that Godfrey's gone, and he also has um, potentially screwed NC State a bit, <laughs> uh, he uh, I feel like that's lingered um, uh, amongst both fan bases. So that should be a fun one. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I would place that at number one uh, just because of the atmosphere. I think. Maryland, I've been to for a Syracuse game, and it sucks as an environment. A lot of tailgate options. I mean, that's your, like if you're there, you want to tailgate um, for a good part of the day. Like that, that's should be high on your list if if you want. But yeah, beyond that, I think FSU. It's easier for some to get there than others. For me, it's pretty hard to get there. So FSU is probably going to be like a long term goal um, for East Coasters, and especially people that don't live, you know, in Central New York. It's a little bit easier to get to. And then Louisville, like yeah, you're, you're like you mentioned, you're gonna you're much more likely to get a win this year than most years. And I'd, uh, 
I would definitely put Louisville on your list of cities to visit, even if for just a weekend, um, if you haven't already. And of course, yeah, Liberty's last. I think, <laughs> think universal agreement on this podcast, at least that that's the case. Is there a ranking in a college football sense? Liberty probably last. Yeah, I, uh, I, I would agree. Although they are going to probably win like five or six games this year, especially oh, if yeah, uh, they might be decent and they, uh, that's fine. <laughs> they decided on a quarterback transfer who I'm not sure will be able to play. Get from Auburn, I believe. Yeah, was it Ryan Willis? Maybe. It sounds right. But yeah, he. Uh, I know he was looking for a waiver. I feel like because they just passed the rule kind of cracking down on waivers, I feel like it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's uh, Malik Willis. Malik, Malik Willis, that's right. Um, um, yeah. I don't. I don't see it happening. If only because, like, the NCAA probably wants to make a point after just passing the rule around, uh, or, or around making it harder to get those one-year waivers. Yeah, it, it, and also even even without that, like, they were just so case by case, like, weird on on this whole thing for the whole year. Where you know there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason why like, some people got them and some people didn't. Aside from honestly, like, the higher profile players got them. Um, that, yeah, I wouldn't be super optimistic if I was him. But, uh, you know, it's still out there, and, and I think it's still up in the air. Yeah, and I mean, granted, like, uh, Stephen Calvert is the uh, returning guy, and he's actually, he's not bad. He put some good numbers last year. He's He knows the system. Well, doesn't know the system because you freeze is new. But in general, like, I, I think that having an incumbent is probably your better bet. Uh, but who knows? I, I I can't wait until that game ends, and then I don't have to think about Liberty football for like a year. Yes, Josiah, very much so. <laughs> uh, switching focus a little bit to basketball, um, Tyler Lydon got an NBA contract, so congrats to him. He'll, uh, he got a two-year with the uh, Sacramento Kings, so Tyler Lydon likely to be involved in the Kings plans in the next two years. I mean, yes, it's a movable deal in two years. It's probably going to be veterans minimum. I don't think I saw financial stuff about it yet. Uh, nonetheless, like if you're going to sign a guy like Lydon to a two year deal, you're at least putting some sort of stock in him. You know, uh, I mentioned in the post that'll go up on Monday that the one caveat is that they're already pretty stacked at the four. And I don't really see him working as a three at the NBA level. So that'll be interesting to watch, but nonetheless, good for him. Uh, I was a little curious what was going to happen after he wasn't in summer league and I didn't hear anything about him going abroad. But yeah. The fact that he gets to, you know, potentially suit up for the Kings and, and figure something out um, and potentially, you know, make it in the NBA. Cause he's, he, he's done some things really well in the short amount of time he's been on the floor. He's only seen the floor for like, I think hundred or so minutes in two seasons. Um, but he shot well, he's nine for 18. He's hit four of 10 threes. You know, it's, it's, again, small, small sample size, but he's obviously shown enough that that team could still potentially take a chance on him. So hopefully, hopefully this works out for him and the Kings and, and we can have another Syracuse player kind of finding his way um, in the NBA. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I was surprised just because we really, like you said, didn't have a lot of information on what uh, his options were going to be at all. So to see him get a two-year contract was, was really good news. Um, the Kings, like you said, are kind of a tricky situation because they have a lot of players in the front court in general. Um, but it's probably not as stacked as some of the other. I mean, honestly, the Nuggets where he started. Um, and uh, 
I still think he fits like the NBA game where it's going very well. He has uh, a really unique skill set in combination of size and shooting ability and even shot blocking ability from college, um, which comes in handy. Uh, and I mean, we've seen, we've seen Jeremy Grant thrive uh, and he also was traded recently um, and become one of our better guys in the NBA because he has this, uh, this combination of skills that the NBA looks for. And, and while Leiden's not quite the athlete, um, he's a better shooter. Um, there, I, I think he could, if he finds the right situation, kind of latch on and find a similar level of success. And hopefully it's with the Kings because I think they're a very interesting young team. Yeah, like I said, I, I think with the Kings, like there's not necessarily an opportunity to start uh, with Marvin Bagley sitting in front of him. Um, obviously, if he wanted to, to go the three route, then Harrison Barnes is sitting in front of him. But th- there is some opportunity to play his way up the depth chart, get some more minutes. I, I agree with you. I think having a young team that's not necessarily in playoff contention, even if they might think they are, um, could provide for some more minutes than obviously trying to break through with a contender. We saw guys like uh, Chris McCullough, Malachi Richardson, and others like try to break through with um, contenders and it not necessarily um, work out as well. So I, I do think that this is a good opportunity for him and, and, and do hope, you know, for the best there because, you know, the, the more Syracuse players that we can show having some sort of success, even if not to like the superstar level that Mello had at, at the height of his career, it's, it's still a great selling point for the program. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a thing we've, uh, you know, it's not the be all end all, but we've had a bit of a gap here in the post, you know, Carmelo Anthony superstar era. Um, and, and obviously there aren't that many schools that put out, superstar NBA players at all. So the fact that Syracuse touches you for it, I think is a little bit unfair because there were like long stretches where like there were no real superstars from Duke. Um, obviously UConn has Kemba Walker like thriving recently, but it wasn't like they had a ton of success before him. And he's kind of had like a, a mid to later career um, ascendance here. Um, so, it, I mean, it really only takes one, uh, but I, I think we have, um, probably almost like an underrated group of players now, uh, at least in terms of like Jeremy and if he can kind of refine himself, Dion, who was playing really well before this rash of injuries. Um, so hopefully they will get back on track and then guys like uh, guys like Tyler can, can really latch on and find find their place because I do think he uh, he makes a lot of sense if, if a team can find the right uh, way to use him. Yeah, I certainly agree. And, and, and like you said too, there's it just takes one, I think that, you know, Syracuse might have some like more like ready-made NBA players. Uh, like Quincy Garrier seems like the type that could be. I, I think the big issue, and I, I get into this in the newsletter that goes out on Monday. I think one of the bigger issues is, is not that like Syracuse is recruiting bad NBA players; is that they're re- they're recruiting players for an isolation style of offense of late that doesn't translate as well to the NBA anymore. And that's not necessarily a knock on Syracuse or on Jim Beheim, considering the success Syracuse basketball has had just the same. It's just pointing out that you can't just plug in isolation into pace and space. And like Mello seems like a, a, a glaring reminder of how all that like shifted so quickly. But since Syracuse hasn't necessarily adjusted um, how it runs its offense, that's how you get the current situation. Again, that's not to knock the kids. It's not to knock Beheim or the program. It's just to say that the two might not might just might not translate and, and that's fine. I think we're actually maybe headed towards some more pace and space um, in Syracuse basketball shortly. I think this year's team, if, if Beheim's going to embrace anything new on offense, this could be it. Um, a team that looks like they're going to shoot a lot of threes. 
hopefully with some sort of proficiency. Um, there's not necessarily like even Gary is not like necessarily like an isolation type shooter. Uh, could again could be a fun team. Could also be a really frustrating team. But as we've seen in the past, sometimes those fun frustrating teams can catch lightning in a bottle, or at least provide building blocks um, for a following year. Um, and that I mean, look at I know that both teams made a tournament, but like the the 0809 team, I think used a lot of a lot of pace and a lot of uh, and ran a lot. And while they couldn't play much on defense, and ultimately, like, that was their undoing once they got to the NCAA tournament in Sweet 16, at the same time, like, that kind of set the stage, I think, for, for what we saw from the remaining players and then some new additions um, in the 09-10 team. Yeah, and, and I think there's a, a good argument to be made that, like, obviously recruiting NBA-level talent is good for most reasons like that's what you look to get guys who are good enough to eventually play the next level but you don't necessarily want to build your team out uh, just because you know x player is going to be an nba guy like you want to ultimately get the best players for your system and and to win in college like obviously Beheim benefits a lot if he if he turns out nba players but his job is to win in college so it's it there's a i think there can sometimes be a little bit of a clash of like what are you looking for? And obviously, like, John Calipari's gone all the way in the other direction where he, you know, has, has openly said, and it's it's clearly a recruiting thing, but he's openly said, like, getting these guys to the NBA is, is, if not, like, the most important thing, like, just as important as winning here. And that's fine. Like, I think he's probably lying a little bit, and, and he's saying what he needs to say because that's, like, his whole brand now. Um, but at the end of the day, like, if a player's, I mean, we've seen, like, Villanova, which has produced more NBA players as of late, but, like, has had a lot of success um, building these teams that don't necessarily translate to the next level. Um, even, you know, some of the earlier pre one and done Duke teams are the same way. Um, so they're, they're definitely more than one way to, to win at college basketball level. But ultimately, like if you recruit a guy and you think like, you know, he might not be an NBA player, but he can win you a lot of games in college, like you're still going to take him. And that's not going to be like a failure on the program's end if he, doesn't end up cracking it in the pros if he helps you win like 30 games and other final fours. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think that this is something that oddly like NBA fans and college fans are like forgetting with equal measure. I'm not really sure like where the disconnect is because it just seems like everybody's kind of, like, you're seeing like NBA scouts. Like I understand that narrative as dumb as it is and where it comes from, but it, I see it from college fans too about Syracuse and that, that part I don't get. And especially like from top programs where everybody knows, like aside from like Duke and Kentucky that seemingly are able to both churn out pros and compete for titles, like everybody else um, by and large is producing NBA players at the same rate we are, if if not less. Yeah, it's like, is Bill Self going to catch heat because Frank Mason got waived by the Kings? Like, no, Frank Mason was National Player of the Year. Um, just because he hasn't really cut in the NBA, doesn't take that away. Same with like Gonzaga and, and Adam Morrison. Like, ultimately, what the player does at the college level is going to be the most important thing to college fans. And the NBA helps in recruiting a lot. Um, and you don't want to discount it. And it's nice to be able to root for God for your, you know, guys from your alma mater at that next level. But it's not like the be all end all. So I, I've always thought the NBA criticism was a little bit was a little bit overblown. Um, I get where it's coming from, but I think it's also, it's mostly just an easy way for, for other fan bases to like troll us or troll, you know, schools that, that haven't had the same level of NBA success as like 
a very small handful of programs that pump out like guys year after year. Yeah, agreed. I, I think it's, you know, a lot of it's a product, obviously, of just how Syracuse fans conduct themselves for better or for worse, or how Bayheim's conducted themselves for better or for worse, and that kind of puts a target on your back. So yeah, you like, just kind of go for it. I was going to say, would you rather be a Syracuse basketball fan or a Texas basketball fan? Texas puts out guys <laughs> in the top ten, like, almost every year now, and they've had no real success. They famously only won one tournament game with Kevin Durant. Like, I'm not trading that at all. A tradition unlike any other. Texas, Texas, Texas. Anyway, um, staying with basketball before we get to halftime. Dan, we finished our non-conference schedule. We added Seattle University as Syracuse desperately tries to take back the state of Washington after Sean Keeley's departure. I don't know if if this is going to do it. Uh, Hopkins being at UW might. Uh, We'll find out soon enough. How do you feel about this schedule overall? I know that a lot of ink has been spilled already about the, like, maybe good, maybe bad parts of this. In particular, like, the more I look at the numbers, and some people have brought it up in the comments, like, it's actually not all that bad of a schedule. It's just the names don't really, like, stand out, and there isn't, like, a marquee name. But the the bulk of the schedule is actually right in that wheelhouse that we want to be in. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's definitely not the sexiest schedule we've ever had. Um, but, like, going through the teams, like, I don't know what Bucknell looks like this year, but they've been a tournament team a, a decent amount recently. Oklahoma State um, has been decent. Penn State actually might be, like, a tournament-level team this year if we get them. And, and, and Ole Miss was a tournament team, I believe, last year. Um, Iowa has a chance to be really good. Um, they have some injury concerns during the season, but, like, they might be, like, a top six or so Big Ten team. Um, Georgetown should be better, I think, this year. North Florida is often pretty good. Um, Oakland's usually pretty feisty. So, like, it's a lot of, like, those mid-level those mid-level teams that aren't going to tell your RPI, which is ultimately the most important thing. It's just we don't have, like, when, you're, when you're, your top game is Iowa, like, that doesn't jump off the page, even if Iowa is better than a lot of the schools that would uh, draw a big, uh, a big reaction from fans. Oh, completely. And like you said, too, like, and in, in I'm even guilty of this a little bit myself. Like, you're right, Ole Miss did make the field. I think Penn State is a fringe tournament team. Like, if either can jump into, like, the top 30 in, in the net rating, like, great. I know Georgetown is seemingly, like, right outside the top 25 and on a lot of lists for some reason. So if – I think somebody bro- – I forgot who broke it down in the comments, but uh, they mentioned – I think it showed that they were, like – it was, like, eight or nine, like, uh, tier one or two, like, win opportunities in the non-conference schedule alone. Like, that's great. And that really sets up Syracuse pretty well um, to potentially take a few a few losses or at least an extra loss or two in ACC play. Um, you know, if if we can go like nine and two or better in, in non conference and not pick up a bad loss or anything like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's also a schedule, like you said. I think that that is built for us to hopefully pick up a good amount of wins and not kill ourselves with a a pretty young, inexperienced team that we're entering the season with. So hopefully, it's one that we can. And really uh, cut our teeth on before the, AC, the extended ACC schedule. Yeah, I mean, we do get thrown into the thick of it um, pretty quickly. Obviously, we get four games at home before the Oklahoma State game. I think that like that should hopefully shake some of the rust off, get some of the young kids like some playing time. They're definitely going to need it. Um, and as much as I've blasted the NIT um, field with like us as a, as a 
us even being like a fringe tournament team potentially this year as a headliner um, in, in the field, I think that you know it, it could be a blessing in disguise, and that might lead to some more wins down the road. But we'll see. Like I said, I, I think nine and two is kind of the the floor. But if you if you hit that or surpass it, I, I think you're in pretty good shape. Um, even if you just go ten and ten in uh, in ACC play, um, it's going to be interesting to see how this uh, increased ACC schedule affects us overall. Because I think we had a pretty good sense of like you know if you're ten and eight in the ACC and you had a couple of big non conference wins, like you were probably in okay shape. And even nine and nine might get you in. And, and the fact that we now have twenty games to work with, um, it's going to be it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of calibrates with the NCAA tournament uh, when March comes around. Yeah, and like I, you know, I, I said I hated the twenty game schedule. I do hate the twenty game schedule. Uh, I think for Syracuse in particular, it's going to be a test because we do have um, our two permanent uh, like home and home rivals are Pitt and BC. And right now, like in at least for the last few years, both of those teams have not been all that good. That's led to like four potentially like meh games on the schedule and if you lose one of them and or one or two of them and you're very likely to lose at least one of them uh as we've seen in recent years like that doesn't necessarily do you any favors so i obviously like there's there's more crossover games now with the 20 game schedule and that should help eliminate some of that but we do have one of the weaker acc schedules uh which is good for for this team in particular but you know let's see what impact that has on our uh on our computer numbers Hopefully it's not too much of them. And again, if you just win enough games, then it's not really a big deal. Yep. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to say like, oh, we won enough games. It's not a big deal uh, the last couple of years. But um, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be you know, pretty drama-free this season. But a lot of question marks, probably more so than we've had even in some of these years where we thought, you know, where we ended up missing the tournament or, or being like a fringe team. So uh, hopefully it'll, it'll turn on it. Uh, you know, turn from where we've been, where we thought we were pretty solid. Now this year, we have a much younger, more inexperienced team, but we've seen some of those thrive. So, be very, very interesting year for the for the Orangemen. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. And of course, I, I I'm going to look back on this comment with uh, with disdain when we're uh, we're once again talking bubble in February and March, and I'm sweating it out on on Selection Sunday. Oh, can't wait. All right. Uh, why don't we take a quick break uh, to hear from our sponsor? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back with a halftime. Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, not much. I don't think I haven't logged any beers on Untapped, and I can't remember having any since we last spoke, which was just a few days ago. Um, I've been kind of dealing with the cold the last couple of days. Uh, so actually, no, I lied. I, I've had some like normal, pretty like like Brooklyn Lager. Um, all day IPA type stuff, but nothing too exciting. And I've been dealing with cold since like Friday night. So trying to recover because I'm off to the Carolinas next weekend where I will have hopefully plenty of Westbrook and other local stuff and uh, not be sick. Very nice. I, uh, I commend the efforts to, to try to get well. 
uh, on my end. Uh, I've been in New York since Saturday morning. So had a bunch of New York stuff. I uh, had a Fiddlehead IPA. Uh, stopped over at Sloop Brewing yesterday. Um, had, they had a few different things. Their uh, Double Plus Good Mosaic was pretty good. Had their uh, Double Plus Good Citra and Cashmere and Chinook was also pretty good. Um, Super Soft was as well. Then headed down to uh, Suarez Family Brewery. Uh, Brewery. Had uh, their Catch a Wave, um, like West Coast style pale ale was super good. Um, as was their Fine Line. It was a Kolsch. And then Homespun was also a pale ale. Uh, my buddy grabbed a bottle of uh, Main Beer Company's Thank You um, IPA that was super good. And then he had some leftover stuff from Hill Farmstead that had a bottle of their uh, Anna uh, Honey Ale. That was super good, like a farmhouse ale with honey. And that was excellent, as just about everything from Hill Farmstead is. So, yeah, productive. Going to have some more stuff tonight, so I'll have plenty to share uh, when we next uh, touch base. Yeah, that Capital Region slash Hudson Valley Region is pretty fertile for good beers, especially because we get so many of those really good New England things coming down as well. So definitely not the worst area for uh, for beer up there. No, not at all. Definitely glad we uh, we made the trip. About an hour from uh, where my buddy lives down there. So nice to, again, nice to see everything. Nice to spend some time outside and, uh, and drink some good brews. But now on to less Syracuse-specific stuff. Uh, we're talking SEC. And Dan, this conference is predictable at the top, and then the rest of it, as always, is a complete shit show. Yeah, it's it's going to be uh, Alabama, Georgia. It's probably how it's going to shake out. Both are, are playoff contenders. Both uh, return a lot. Alabama brings back most of their offense, including Tua Tagovailoa, Jerry Judy, who might be the best receiver in the country. Um, they lose a couple running backs, but they always have like two or three five stars to plug in. Um, so Alabama's going to be disgusting. Uh, Georgia has Jake Fromm back, uh, who has beat out all challengers to hold on to that quarterback job. I know some people are, I don't know, he, he seems to be a, a bit, not divisive, but like people have very, like very varied opinions on from. Trump's uh, potential, but I think he's a, a solid college quarterback at worst. Um, and then beyond them, like there is a whole lot of uh, questions and unknown, and you can kind of argue for a lot of different teams to be in that next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think LSU and Florida have enough talent to be on a tier ahead of that, like second group, maybe. Uh, but again, like that hasn't necessarily been enough to differentiate them in the past. Um, Texas A&M is a team that the computer numbers love. Um, the schedule doesn't, however. And I think that's really like the, the big, big deal for the Aggies in particular is like Jimbo's done a great job. I think Kellen Mond's a really good quarterback. And Jimbo's done a great job of, of really resetting the culture kind of on the fly and resetting like expectations on the fly. But I think unfortunately for him and unfortunately for Aggies fans, like the schedule in particular, like, well, this, the yearly schedule, but in particular this year's schedule um, could be a real cap on exactly what they can do and, you know, could derail what could be a top 10 season. And, and you could still see, a, you know, A&M take on four losses. Yeah. A&M really hasn't helped out Jimbo in these first couple of years there. They're st- and obviously these things were, uh, these statutes were made probably in like 2003. Um, but 
they've really, uh, I mean, they caught Clemson up with the worst possible time to catch Clemson. Um, and then the SEC West is always brutal. So A&M, I, I, I am kind of bullish on. I think Jimbo definitely seemed to kind of revitalize last year after, you know, what were a rough last few years of Florida State. Um, it's uh, it's just always hard. To, like, they can go 8-4 and four and be really good. And that's that's the tough part about being in that division. Um, LSU is interesting. They, they have, like, their first stable, if not, like, great quarterback situation in a long time. Uh, Joe Burrow, who transferred in from Ohio State, uh, has a second year there. He was, I would, you know, he's not great, but he's really solid. And LSU just hasn't had that much solid quarterback play in a long time. Um, so I think he uh, is kind of one of the keys to this whole conference. If he takes another step forward and can be, like, a legit top 20 to 25 college quarterback, LSU has a lot of potential because there's so much talent in that defense, and, and Coach O has done a pretty good job. Uh, keeping things stocked there, um, and they should be quite good again. Um, and Burrow definitely looked better towards the end of the season, so um, they're definitely one to watch. But I think those two are probably probably the next two in terms of like talent and potential. Florida's obviously usually pretty steady, uh, and Mullen has things going, you know, at a decent clip there. I, I I'm not totally sold on Florida as like a top tier team just because I know Felipe Franks has graded out better in terms of like advanced stuff recently. But I'm not. I just I've never watched him and come away super impressed. Um. So yeah, those three are probably fighting it out for the next that next tier. Um. And then like you have the Auburns who are you know I, I don't know if we're uh due for a I think I I think we're probably due for like an Auburn wins ten or eleven games now because if not Malzahn like Malzahn just can't be fired so he just swings between hot seat and then breakout season and then extension. And then, like, a couple of middle, middle league seasons. So I think we might actually be due for a weird Auburn uh, really good year, but I, I'm not totally sold on it based on, on what they have on paper. They will have a freshman quarterback, I believe, too, which is tricky. Yeah, Auburn's a weird team. I mean, Malzahn is just, like, Malzahn's an odd guy. Auburn's been odd under his watch in particular. I think this is, you know, a team with top 15 talent, but, you know, not top 15 execution. Um, I think... I think anything under nine and three definitely gets Malzahn canned. I think, I think ten and two with a loss to Bama could get him canned. Just because I think at this point, like they're very much like chomping at the bit to fire him, and another loss to Alabama uh, just seems like the sort of thing that could do it. Um, I, I think LSU. Yeah, I think LSU is a more talented team. Like you said, I think Joe Burrow, like the guy threw for almost 2,900 yards last year. So that's, I mean, it doesn't seem like a huge number, and it isn't, but when you look at what LSU's done recently, it's actually pretty solid. You know, 16 touchdowns, five picks. Like, yeah, if Burrow can step forward uh, a little bit, like you said, maybe get to 3,200 yards and, like, 20 scores, like that's that's pretty solid quarterback play in the ACC, and that's the type of, and sorry, in the SEC, uh, just decided to add them to the Coastal. Look at us. Um, that could be something that, uh, you know, helps LSU maybe challenge Bama um, for once uh, in recent years. Uh, I know we mentioned a and M schedule, but just looking at, you know, some of the specifics there, they close at Georgia and at LSU. That's horrifying. Uh, they have Alabama, obviously. They have Auburn. They are at Clemson. Um that's to me. That's four losses, even for most top ten teams, and I think the Aggies are included there. 
So yeah, curse the schedule makers if you'd like A&M fans because that's uh, a highly unfortunate. I think we might as well talk a little bit about Syracuse and we're talking about Auburn as we did earlier. Um, do you think Dino would go to Auburn if given the chance? Because I do feel like most coaches are kind of wise to it at this point that like chasing Alabama seems like a fool's errand. And in particular, chasing Alabama at Auburn seems like a fool's errand. And, you know, you can get a lot of slack at Syracuse and a lot of slack at a lot of other programs. And, uh, and you really can't at Auburn, especially as long as Nick Saban's around. Auburn's such an interesting uh, situation for a coach because you know you can win a national title there. We've seen it. We saw Gene Chizik win a national title there. Gene Chizik is not a good coach. Um, so there's you, you can you can reach the highest levels of the sport there. Uh, Malzahn's come close. Um, you have Saban to deal with. So I think part of it is you're, you're banking on being able to survive through Saban's retirement, which may or may not be the case if you're a new Auburn coach. Um, the problem, like, it's, it, it'd, be, it'd be one thing if they were just really high expectations and you knew you had to reach this benchmark to stay stay there. But Chiswick's been, like, on the cutting block and taken off of it, like, probably three or four times while during his career there. And it just seems like the swings and the, like, crazy, like, back-and-forth nature of what their, uh, like, their boosters and the people in power there have that, like, it just seems like a very uncomfortable situation. I think you'd almost rather know, like, hey, if we don't win 10 games this year, or, like, here, here are the, the rock-hard expectations, um, and if we don't reach them, I'll be fired, versus, like, the will-they-won't-they situation that that, that uh, Melzahn's found himself in, um, I think does make it a little more challenging. That being said, it's probably a top-10 job, and, like, those don't come off open. Like, they, there's probably one or two of those that come open every year, maybe. Um, so it'd be very hard to turn it down. I think if you're a, a, a Dino or anyone else, um, so I definitely, I definitely wouldn't blame him if, if like that job opens up. And this is obviously totally hypothetical. We have no idea who Auburn would target if they had an opening. Um, but if they were to target a Dino who doesn't really have SEC ties, this probably helps. Um, I think I would definitely not blame him for taking it, but I could also definitely see you know, an older head coach who's just getting kind of settled in at Syracuse and has a chance to have a really comfortable situation where if he wins, you know, six or seven games one year, he's not going to run out of town ever. Um, and, you know, has reportedly been compensated, you know, commensurate with the job he's done. Uh, obviously, we don't know the exact numbers there either. Um, I could definitely see him sticking around just because, like, why would you want the – why do you want the situation at Auburn where, like, you're going to be thrown into the fire if you don't, you know, if you don't beat Alabama by year two, like, you could be out. So it's it's a really, really good job, and it's a job that you can, like, kind of get everything you want out of college football, but the pressure is, is wild, and um, you're, you're hanging your hat on so much of what another program's doing, and that's just never a great situation. Yeah, I mean, to me, USC is a much scarier job, and we'll talk about that proposition a little bit more when we get to the Pac-12. Dan, two different questions that I had here. I'll start with the first one. Um, Which SEC team do you think kind of defies expectations? And I think in the SEC, defying expectations, like you're rarely going to have that team just kind of jump up out of nowhere um, and and win a division or anything like that. But which team do you think surpasses their like projected win total by like two to three games? Uh, This is tricky. I I can see uh, Mississippi State taking a big step forward, depending on how Tommy Tommy Stevens, the 
Penn State quarterback transfer is there. Obviously, he played for Joe Moorhead uh, at Penn State, who was the offensive coordinator there before taking the Mississippi State job. And I'm a big Moorhead fan. I think he um, is a really interesting offensive coach. And they did some nice things last year, despite like a pretty weird kind of roster fit for him um, with the Fitzgerald there. Um, so I can see Mississippi State taking a nice step forward. Um, I think Tennessee has done a really nice job on the recruiting trail under Jeremy Pruitt. Um, I don't exactly know what their offense looked like, but I think they even kind of like had some flashes last year where they could take a jump, although it's it's obviously so tough to, to make that next step. Uh, but I do think there are going to be wins to be had. I think Kentucky probably take a step back just based on the, the, the season they had last year and some of those like close wins. Um, and then uh, I maybe Ole Miss. Um, I think their offense is very interesting. I think they, they have a chance to get some really good quarterback play. Um, but their defense has been rough the last couple seasons, and I'm not totally sold on, on that whole on the whole Matt Luke uh, situation there. I think uh, I think he really has to show something this year, um, which is always – I mean, we know how the whole interim to full-time head coach thing goes. So um, I think Mississippi State would probably be my, my number one choice. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think Mississippi State is the talent. I think it's just whether or not – the division like creates too much of a ceiling, especially just you know having Alabama, LSU, A and M, and Auburn. Like even just getting a win against one of those teams is tough. Never mind like maybe like two or more if you really want to punch your way into like the second or third spot in the division. So I think that they're an interesting one for sure. Um, I think Arkansas is still a year out, but we'll talk more about some of those teams. Um, Tennessee, I think, would be my like biggest pick. I think I have them at like nine and three. I think that they're at. I think that they, they they play teams tight. They showed flashes, and I think that the balls seem like they're they're progressing at at a good pace. And and the, you know the fact that Georgia's so good, the fact that Florida has you know stabilized things, I think prevents the like sky high um, Tennessee expectations that might have tripped them up in the past. So I think now they can have some more you know conservative expectations that that get them you know to climb the ladder slowly. But surely, so I'll, I'd probably pick them. Um, I I feel like everyone's pretty high on Missouri this year, and, and and I think I could see them winning eight games. But I don't really think that's like a surpassing expectations as much as just meeting them based on what I've seen on the internet. Yeah, Kelly Bryant made some kind of an interesting team. Um, it, it's always hard to know how a team will react after the kind of ridiculous NCAA stuff they went through this year, and they are uh, not bowl eligible. Um, so they either rally around that, like having an outside presence like Kelly Bryant coming in for one season where he obviously has a lot of personal goals to, I think, swing either direction. Um, or, you know, with, with the kind of the unfortunate aspect of like knowing you don't have a postseason to play for, like I can see that being a tough thing to overcome, um, from, from the zoo. So I could definitely see that one going either way. Totally fair. Um, so I guess on the other side of that question, who do you see falling short of expectations by two to three wins? Uh, ooh, this is tough. Like, I don't think there's like a terrible team in this in this league. Um, like, even Vandy is like kind of come up to like a place of like general respectability. Um, it might be like by default. I, I think Arkansas might be in for another tough year just because their rebuild was was probably more start than people expected, and it's just so hard to win in the West, especially when. Like, even your old misses aren't bad. Mississippi State's obviously pretty good. Um, so I think Arkansas might be in for another, you know, they, they probably 
have aspirations of going like six and six and making a bowl, and I can see them like being okay and going four and eight, which is always uh, not not the best situation. And hard to sell the fans, but that just might be the reality here. And then obviously, I say Kentucky. I think Kentucky could take a big step back. Yeah, I think a lot of people see Kentucky taking at least some sort of step back, but I, I agree with you. I could see them taking an even larger one. I still think they go six and six, but uh, it could be a, a tough uh, season in Lexington. I think South Carolina is my big candidate uh, to take a, a step back. I, I know that like the Will Muschamp teams are going to play like close, but I could see them easily dropping down to like four and eight, uh, just based on if Vandy improves, that Kentucky doesn't drop as much as we want as much as we think, and if Tennessee happens to. Uh, surpass some expectations like that's an easy recipe for South Carolina falling to the bottom of the division I think that yeah Ole Miss and Ole Miss could definitely get tripped up here so we'll see I think Auburn's the other one that you could see potentially falling short of maybe like I mean it depends on who you ask I think I think this team's talented enough to win nine games I just don't know if the schedule in the division allows for it so I'll say expectations are eight um I could I mean, there's, I could see them falling as far as seven wins, so that's not really like, you know, the uh, w- w- what I specified here. But at the same time, I think an Auburn team that wins seven games is like a recipe for disaster and, and definitely grounds for, for firing. We don't have to dive back into that. But, yeah, I, I think that, that Auburn's probably on that list too, unfortunately. Yeah, it's an interesting league in, in general because usually the SEC has like one or two teams that are just really, really bad. Um, but, like, Vandy and Arkansas are probably going to be picked to finish last in these divisions, and I don't think either of them will be terrible. Um, Vanderbilt hasn't been great, but they've been, like, just enough uh, for Derek Mason to hang on to that job. Um, and they've shown some, like, competitive flare, flare-ups in the last couple of years. I, th- I think he still may be coaching for his job just because I think he really needed it over the hump. But, like, I think the two seventh-place the, the teams in these divisions are, are a good deal better than they usually are in the SEC. And there really isn't a team you can, like, totally just sleep on and say, like, oh, they'll just get walked over. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. Yeah, which is always good for any conference. When you don't have those walkover games, you don't have a team going 0-8 in league play. Um, that That's always just a good sign of, of overall health for the group. Um, Dan, I know we both think Alabama and Georgia are going to play for the league championship. Do you think that Georgia can get over the hump, or do you think that this is Bama's title until proven otherwise uh they definitely can i mean they've played bama tough um over the last couple of years uh i would lean bama just as i trust their offense more i think they have more firepower um but georgia's defense is, is great and Fromm is very steady and can win you that game um i would i i'll, I'll lean bama but i i don't think it's like a, a guarantee by any means i think georgia would play with yeah, and I mean, I, I think that, you know, Saban kind of, and like a bounce back year, just seems like a scary proposition for any SEC team. And I could totally see him just like going scorched earth on, on everybody. I think they could drop a game somewhere in here, admittedly. Maybe, maybe the A&M game. But it, it's one of those things where like, 
maybe get a little ahead of themselves. Maybe they drop one of those big games midseason, but then, you know, recollect. We've seen this, I mean, a million times under Saban where not really a million, like a handful because they've only lost a handful of times under Saban. But yeah, we, we, we've seen before where, you know, Saban's team dropped a game to a, a feisty or a very good team uh, like Ole Miss, like A&M, and then, you know, proceeded to just absolutely like railroad everybody from, from, from then on. So I'm... I'm going to go with Alabama, but yeah, I think that Georgia keeps it pretty tight. Yeah, and there's a chance that Georgia runs it and loses the SEC title in close one and still makes the playoff. We've seen, we've seen the two SEC uh, teams in the playoff situation before, obviously, and it would not shock if it happened again. Um, although the, the machinations of it uh, played played out well for them a couple of years ago, and if you have Alabama and Georgia in the SEC title, I think it, it makes it harder um, to have them both make it, but uh, either way, I think they're probably two of the four or five best teams in college football, no matter how you slice it. Yeah, I agree with that. And really, I think if both go in undefeated, it's going to be very hard to leave out the losing team. Especially if it's like a close, like, you know, these a lot, the two games with them have been very close. So if it's like that, it's 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 tough to, if you're if you're truly doing like the best four teams, like it would be very, very difficult to leave Georgia out, um, even if you like, don't want like a super quick rematch. I, I don't think anyone else in would really complain if you give them another Alabama Georgia game. Those are usually pretty fun. Yeah, I agree. And really, like if you look at like what a top four would look like, it's probably Clemson in there, the winner of this game, um, and then there's really nothing else assured. I mean, you you can you can think that that the top Big Ten team gets in, but like we said last week, uh, that there's a reality where every top ten, every top Big Ten squad can lose two games. Um, we'll get to the Pac-12 in the next few weeks, but like Pac-12, there, there's no guarantee that Washington or jo- Utah or anybody else can, can survive unscathed. There's no guarantee that Notre Dame can go unbeaten, which they probably need to to make the playoff. Um, Oklahoma and Texas, like there's there's just a lot um, that that would need to happen to prevent. I think if if, if Georgia and Alabama go into the SEC title game at 12 and 0 apiece, um, I, I think it'd be very hard to leave out the losing team. Yep, unless it's like a blowout. But yeah, that usually the case. Agreed. Um, Dan, anything else before we, uh, before we wrap up this week? And it was a little bit shorter episode, but I feel like we had, a, we had a shorter time frame between episodes, so we also didn't have as much new material. But anything else you wanted to uh, bring up while we're still here? Nope. Hopefully everyone out here uh, enjoys the heat wave this weekend and can get in a pool or a ocean or other body of water. I would concur. I uh, like I said, we had a nice breeze up here, but the heat's definitely getting there. The humidity's been lighter, but I know down at the city and elsewhere, it's been uh, it's been much higher. So everybody, stay safe out there. Stay cool, and uh, be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and wherever else you listen to us. And go orange. Go orange. <laughs>